when I went to college at Wichita State, I thought I'd major in accounting, and then I took my first accounting class. And if you're an accountant, I just have all the respect in the world for you because I thought to myself in the middle of class, I think I could do this the rest of my life, but man, it just doesn't sound very appealing right now. Um, but during that same semester, I was in my first economics class, and economics was not easy, but it was very intriguing to me because I saw its relevance to me. I saw how the principles of economics had applied to me my whole life, and uh, I could study it in college if I wanted to. So that's what I chose to study. And economics is, quite simply, it's built on the idea of opportunity cost. And an opportunity cost refers to a benefit that someone could receive, but they gave up in order to take another course of action. So if you state it differently, it represents an alternative given up. So anytime you make a decision, you decided to come here today, what was the second best choice, right? You could have stayed home and slept in. You could have gone to another church. Um, for, for a variety of different people, the second best choice is different, but that's the opportunity cost of choosing to come here today. And when you get married, there's opportunity cost because you're saying no to every other person. You're saying yes to one person and no to every other person. So that's, that's basically what opportunity cost is. And it includes both explicit, explicit and implicit costs. So if you looked at what does it cost to go to college for a year, you might pick a college, look at the tuition, the books, the amount of credit hours, your living situation. Those are all explicit costs. It requires money to get them taken care of. But then there's the implicit cost. What does it cost to go to college? Well, for that year, you could be working. And so you could make $30,000 or a certain amount of money. But that's not an explicit cost of college. That's what you're giving up in order to be a full-time student. And so opportunity cost combines both the cost of explicit transactions and implicit costs. And we all make decisions out of that framework of opportunity cost, whether we studied economics or not. We all think in terms of cost and benefit. But what if we didn't analyze, what if we didn't appropriately value things? We didn't appropriately value the cost or we didn't appropriately value the benefit that we received. Then we could be fulfilling the purpose of our lives as we define it without fulfilling the purpose of our life as God defines it. We'd be trying to ma maximize our happiness, and we'd be d using a, a wrong unit of measure. We'd be going about it the wrong way, and so we wouldn't actually maximize our happiness. Today, we're going to hear a, a true story of a man who did exactly that. He didn't like what God told him, and so he ran. He looked for happiness, satisfaction, and, and meaning his own way. But God didn't leave him alone he, God wanted to redefine this man's values. And so he, he redefined this man's values by sending him a mission. Uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, open it to the book of Jonah. Uh, we're going to be going through this story, uh, going through the whole book, because the whole book is a story, and you can't just look at one piece of the story and appropriately understand it without the whole. So I'm going to tell it to you as a story, um, won't be able to fill in and read every verse, uh, but you can follow along and fill in the details if I miss any. You can fact check me. 
it begins with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. And he tells Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah took God's word and he ran. He ran from the Lord and he headed in the opposite direction of Nineveh. He headed to Tarshish. And so he paid for his trip and he sailed for Tarshish. But the Lord sent a great storm, a wind and a violent storm on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors, they were afraid. And these pagan sailors were crying out to the gods that they knew. And they were throwing cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah was below the deck where he'd laid fast asleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he's going to take notice of us so that we won't perish. And the sailors said to each other, we've done everything we can. We've called to our God, our gods, and now we need to cast lots in order to find out who's responsible. That was the ancient Near East equivalent of rolling the dice, trying to determine something that's outside of your control, trying to get divine insight on a situation. And of course, the lots fell on Jonah. And they asked him five questions like rapid fire. And Jonah just gives him a really short answer. They asked him, who are you? What have you done? Where are you from? And he said, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God who made heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. And this terrified the sailors because he'd already told them that he was running away from his God. And now they know that his God is the one true God. And they say, what have you done? And so the sea was getting rougher and rougher and the sailor said, what do we have to do to make the sea, the sea calm down for us? And Jonah said, throw me into the sea and it'll become calm. All this is because of me. Uh, so look at what these men did instead. They did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't because the sea grew even more wild than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, to Jonah's God. And, he said, and they said, God, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, because this is clearly what you want done, God. So they threw him overboard, and the, the sea calmed, just as Jonah said it would. And the men, the sailors, greatly feared the Lord, and they worshiped him. They offered a sacrifice. But God provided a big fish that swallowed up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And chapter two of this story records Jonah's prayer. And the basic tenets of that prayer is Jonah said, this distress, I know God was my fault, but I also know God that you are going to rescue me out of it. He had great confidence and you see it in verse four, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will again look toward your holy temple. He had great confidence that God would rescue him. And in fact, after three days, the Lord commanded the fish and it did spit Jonah out onto dry land. And then it's, it's kind of like we're repeating this story. A second time the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And this time Jonah obeyed and he went and he went a day's journey into Nineveh and uh, here's the message that God gave him. 40 more days and Nineveh will, be, Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from least to the greatest put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king, uh, the king took off his royal robes and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. He repented and he, they were all mourning over their sin. They agreed with God's judgment and they were mourning over what was to come and what they'd done. Um, 
And so here's what the king did. He issued a decree that wouldn't let anyone or any animal eat. It was a citywide fast by the decree of the king. And, and everyone called urgently on God. They left their evil ways. And the, here's the goal is who knows? God may yet relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we won't perish. And sure enough, in chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, God relented and he didn't bring the destruction that he had threatened. But look at what, how Jonah responds in chapter 4. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed again. And this time his prayer said this, God, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew that you're a God who relents from sending calamity. So now take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah didn't answer. He, he went out and had a camp out protest. He overlooked the city, made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen. And then God provided a, a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy at, about the plant. But then at dawn the very next day, God provided a worm who ate away the plant so that the plant withered and died. And then God sent an east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he was faint. And then again, he said, it'd be better for me to die than live. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant, jo Jonah? And Jonah said, it is. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But then the story ends with God asking this question. You've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So that's the story of Jonah, and I bring it up today because we're in unit six of our Experiencing God study uh, that Henry Blackaby wrote, and he brings up some frequently asked questions uh, in the Christian life. This, this study is about knowing and doing the will of God for your life, and one of the questions that he brings up is, what happens when we pray? And in the story of Jonah, we see that what happens when we pray is our hearts are revealed. Both times, Jonah's heart was revealed. First, it was revealed that he was confident that God would rescue him. And then the second time, it was revealed that Jonah is not okay with God rescuing whoever God wants to. Jonah wanted God to do what Jonah wanted. And so his heart was revealed when he prayed. And that's what happens when we pray too. Uh, Blackaby talks a lot in Unit 6 about God speaking through circumstances. But it's difficult for us often to understand how God is speaking through circumstances. It's not always as clear as, oh, if there's an open door, that means God wants me to walk through it. Because if you push the pause button at different times in the story of Jonah, like if you push the pause button at the end of chapter one after they threw him into the sea, it would appear, oh, you disobey God, you perish, he's done with you. But that's not the whole story. And we need to know the whole story. We need to know the truth in order to rightly interpret our circumstances. And the truth of Jonah's circumstances is that God was after his heart. Blackaby also talks about creating spiritual markers, how God creates 
spiritual markers in our lives so that we know who he is and what he's doing because of what he's done before. And I believe that this story of Jonah is intended to be a spiritual marker, not just for him and for his audience, but also for us as well. That's why it ends with a question. God is still speaking to his people today, and he's still calling them into the same love relationship that he was calling Jonah into. So often uh, when people think of Jonah, and I was this way growing up in the church, I picture Jonah as a big fish. Like That's what I think of when I hear the story. But I think this is a much better picture of the story of Jonah. It captures the point. That's Jonah scowling, sitting beside a withered plant. That's where you find the point of the story. Jonah had a unit of measurement. He had a way of making decisions in his life revealed through this story that was in contrast to God's. And this is how he ended up. Miserable. But God wanted to redefine his values. And he went about redefining Jonah's values by sending Jonah on mission. He wouldn't seem like the likely missionary, but that's exactly what God sent him to do. He was a missionary, but at the same time, God was the missionary to Jonah. So here's the main point. Here's the lesson for us today. God's mission, which we're all called to be a part of, as believers, God's mission reveals character. So if you're a follower of Jesus, like I said, you're called to be on mission. All of us are. Every believer is called to ministry. Every ministry is missional. And so if you go on mission, and if you want to participate in ministry, get ready to have your character reshaped because God's mission reveals character. And if you want to be reshaped, if you're like, okay, I know Jesus has saved me. He's my Lord. I'm ready to follow him and I'm I'm ready to be changed. Get ready to go on mission because these two things, they can't be separated. God's mission reveals character and our character is how God accomplishes his mission often. So we're all being shaped all the time. So if you don't want to be reshaped and if you don't want to go on mission, good luck. Uh, That's the way that life goes. We're all on a mission and we're all being reshaped all the time. The question for us is whose mission are we on and whose character are, are we being formed into or who or what is forming our character? So God's mission reveals character, it reveals his character, and it reveals our character. And so I want to talk about five ways from the story of Jonah that God's mission reveals character Uh, First, we see God's character revealed by him taking the initiative in this mission. Both times when Jonah, or both times in this story, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God spoke. And it's our responsibility to hear and obey God. Um, That's why we're going through this study, this Blackaby study. It's not easy to hear from God. and It's not easy to obey God. But it's worth doing the work to discern his voice and in order to know how to live. And when we hear from God, we hear good news. We talked about this last week. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, when God speaks, he tells us news about Christ, news that we need to hear as believers, news that the world as unbelievers needs to hear. And we're charged, like Jonah, to bring the news, the word of the Lord, to others. 
And God takes that initiative. That, that shows us who he is. That shows us his character. And the second way that God's mission reveals character is it shows, it shows us about our character. I believe that us, like Jonah, we are naturally unfaithful. Jonah said no. In fact, he didn't reply to the question at the beginning, or not the question, the command. He didn't reply to the command at the beginning. He didn't reply to the question in chapter 4, are you right to be angry? He just set up camp. So practically speaking, I mean, if we look at the situation, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Jonah to go. If you know anything about Nineveh, you know that they were a very brutal people, um, and you know that they were enemies of Israel. And so Jonah waltzing into their city with a judgment message from God, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't seem safe. But this shows that men's greatest wisdom is like an anthill compared to the Mount Everest of God's wisdom. The greatest wisdom of men is like an anthill compared to Mount Everest of God's wisdom. And so even throughout the story, the author, who ultimately is the Holy Spirit, he uses incredible contrast to show just how unfaithful God's servant, the prophet Jonah, really is. The first contrast is between Jonah and the sailors. Jonah was such a jerk. He was down, downstairs in the boat sleeping when the sailors were like doing everything they could to save their lives, to save the boat, and, and even to save Jonah's life, to save the jerk's life. But Jonah was pretty indifferent towards these men who rode back to shore to try to save him, who prayed you know, God, I want to be innocent of this man's blood. I'm only throwing him overboard because that's the only path left. Um, and then they worshiped God even after they threw him overboard when the sea calmed. The sailors were pagans. You wouldn't expect the pagans to, to live more righteously than the prophet, but that's exactly what happened. And there's also a contrast of how the Ninevites, the people of Nineveh, how did they respond to the Lord's message? They responded sincerely with repentance. And think about how Jonah responded. The first time, he ran away. The second time, he did it, but it was clear that his obedience was very half-hearted. He had, he had reservations. And those reservations came out in chapter 4, near the end of the story. And then we also see Jonah's prayer. He had no problem, Jonah had no problem with God rescuing him. But he had all sorts of problems with God rescuing the people of Nineveh, with God doing something that Jonah wasn't comfortable with, that, that was outside of Jonah's will, Jonah's preferences. So God's mission reveals our character, and our character, apart from the grace of God changing us, we're unfaithful. We're jerks, kind of like Jonah. But God's mission also reveals his sovereign character. And the word sovereignty, so when I say that God has sovereign character, that means that he accomplishes everything that he wants to because he is in absolute control of everything. And you see this in the story. So God clearly wanted to accomplish the mission, right, of getting his message of judgment across to Nineveh. That's in the very beginning of the story. Well, didn't he do that? He, yeah, he did that, but he did so much more. He revealed himself to the sailors, 
right? He showed his discipline to Jonah by throwing him overboard and sticking him in timeout in a big fish's stomach. And then he also revealed his intention for Jonah to grow from this by providing the plant, the worm, the wind. God is sovereign over everything. He made the storm calm after they threw Jonah into the water. That's his sovereign power. So God's sovereignty is, uh, is all over this story. And while we're going through this experiencing God study, I realized I haven't said anything this, these first five, six weeks about God's will and how, uh, how confusingly clear it is. Uh, and so I don't intend to confuse anyone when I say this, but I think that in order to be faithful to our study of, of God's will, I need to say this. Everything that happens is God's will but not everything that happens is God's will. So is that clear as mud? I'll I'll unpack it a little bit. Everything that happens is God's will because he's sovereign and he accomplishes all that he pleases. But if you just live your life by that truth, you're going to miss out on the second one, which is that not everything that happens is God's will. There's two wills of God. There's his sovereign will, That God knows everything that has or will ever come to pass, and he works all that out in accordance to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1. Even the roll of the dice, the casting of lots, God has determined what will happen. So when you roll a snake eyes, it might surprise you, but it didn't surprise God. Because Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap. Again, that's like the modern day equivalent of rolling the dice, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So there's no roll of the dice, there's no flip of the coin that doesn't come from God's plan. Everything that happens is God's will. But there's that second will. Not everything that happens is God's desired or intended will for us. That's what he exhorts us to do. That's called his moral will or his revealed will. And it should be on the slides. It is. So since God is sovereign and we're living with these two wills, of his, how should we live? Well, we should live in right relationships. Submit to his sovereignty and do what he says. Know that he's in control of even all the bad things, but do what he says. And as we do what God led us to last, we'll know what to do next. So you don't have to worry about knowing God's sovereign will because there are secret things that God does not reveal to us ever. And then there are some things that God reveals to us later on, but we won't know it until we learn to hear from God and obey what he shows us. So do what God led you to know last, and you'll know what to do next. And remember that there's really no knowledge in this life that's disconnected from faith. It's all, all of our knowledge, everything we know, has a faith foundation. You're trusting someone or something The fourth way that God's mission reveals our character is it shows, again, our character, our true condition. We don't want to surrender control of our lives, just like Jonah didn't. Jonah said, I knew you'd forgive them. I knew you were a gracious God that that relented from sin and calamity. Jonah knew the truth, but he didn't desire the truth 
to him it seemed very wrong because he was selfish. He desired his own way. Going back to the, the economic principle of opportunity cost, Jonah wanted to measure decisions. He wanted to measure life his own way. And we all are selfish and we all have that propensity. And so we all, like Jonah, need saving. But fortunately for us, there is one who willingly spent three days in the heart of the earth, as opposed to Jonah's three days in the heart of a fish because he was unwilling to obey. Jesus spent three days in the heart of the earth in obedience to the Father. And Jesus didn't pout when he asked God to remove the cup of suffering, the cup of God's wrath, and God didn't answer his request. Jesus didn't pout like Jonah did. Jesus was the one who said, I'll die so that you all can live. And Jonah just said, I'd rather die than live. We all need saving, and Jesus is the one who provides the salvation. The fifth way that God's character is revealed, or that God's mission reveals character, is that God pursued Jonah on a heart level, and he pursues us on a heart level. When Jonah was angry about God's compassion, God asked him a question. Is it right for you to be angry about what I decided to do with Nineveh, Jonah? And remember, Jonah didn't answer. Then God provided the plant. Jonah enjoyed the plant. God took the plant away. Then God asked the question again, are you right to be angry about the plant? He asked the same question two times because he was connecting what happened with the plant to what happened with Nineveh. Jonah cared a lot more about himself than he did other people. And he cared a lot more about himself than he cared about God and his ways. So God in the story has the first word and the last word. And the last question is, shouldn't I have compassion even on the cattle? Don't you care enough about the cows, Jonah? It's your turn to repent. And it's your turn for your character to change. Throughout the story, God had been changing people's lives. And now it's time for him to change Jonah's life, and for Jonah actually to respond to what God was inviting him to do. And that last question is there for us. It's there for the readers of this story. Will we repent, or will we go on living our lives our own way? Repenting is simply surrendering to God your life, your preferences, and saying, I choose what you want for me. It's agreeing with God's evaluation of your life. Rather than looking at our lives and our decisions from our own point of view, it's looking at them from God's point of view. So can we really repent and believe? I believe that we can because of what Jesus did on the cross. And the right response next is if we say that we love people, if we say, oh, I'm not really like Jonah, are we willing to share the good news? Because how can you say that you love someone and withhold the greatest good from them? Because God cares deeply about people, we would do this out of gratitude. I think Jonah did it. He went to Nineveh out of obligation. At the end of chapter 2, at the end of his prayer, he said, what I vowed, I'll make good. He said, I know I'm supposed to obey you, so I'm going to do it. But God isn't after that type of obedience. He wants our hearts. And that's what happens at the end of the story of Jonah. God goes after his heart. And so he's going after our hearts as well. As he's sending us on mission, we don't have to be perfect, 
But we do need to realize that he is in the process of perfecting us as we go. He used Jonah. I think it's amazing how he used Jonah and brought about revival in a city. And it's, it's, it's well and good for us to evaluate our neighbors and our nation and say, oh yeah, we really need an act of God. But are we, are we really ready for God to use us and to perfect us as we go? I think it's an encouraging and helpful thought for me to remember that God wants to use me and he wants to use you. But it's even better for me, for me to remember that God wants to change me and he wants to change you as he uses us. And repentance is the start of the change. It's the mark of ongoing change. The Christian life is not about perfection, but direction. And repentance keeps us headed in the right direction. So if you want to go on mission, get ready to have your character reshaped. And if you want to be reshaped, get ready to go on mission. If you don't want either, realize it's unavoidable. We're all going on mission and we're all being reshaped all the time. But the only way to make the right decision is to hear from God. So let's pray. God, thank you for being a gracious and compassionate God with us, just like you were with the sailors, the Ninevites, and even Jonah. God, I pray that your grace would produce in us lives of repentance and faith as we hear from you and obey you. As a worship team comes up, talk to Jesus about how grateful you are for his salvation and ask him how he'd like for you to respond today.